This evening, turn with you will in your Bibles to Acts chapter number 3. As we continue our walk through the book of Acts together and looking at those who continued steadfastly. And really in context with the song that we just sang, Acts, the book of Acts, and especially here in the very beginning, we see that those who follow Jesus, they spent time, a lot of time, in prayer. They spent a lot of time praying and asking God to use them, to help them to follow after him, to help them continue. They spent a lot of time petitioning the throne of grace so that they would be ready when God moved. When God stepped in and when the doors opened, they were ready because they hadn't spent a bunch of time sitting back and getting comfortable in this life and forgetting what they were supposed to be about, but they had spent time together as a church there in Acts chapter number one, Acts chapter number two, right? We found them in the upper room, continuing daily in one accord in prayers and supplications and breaking of bread. They continued in fellowship with one another. They continued in prayer with one another. And so we find a really good example of how we ought to be operating. You know, we ought to be operating together in one accord, each of us individually and as a church body. We ought to be seeking God's face. We ought to be asking God, would you help me to be all that I should be in following after you? And then, God, would you help our church be all that we should be in following after you. I I don't know about you, but I want to see 2024 be a year that God uses not only me, but uses Liberty Baptist Church to reach souls for Christ. I don't want to reach the end of 2024 and look back and think, well, God kept me alive. You know, I coasted along. I I didn't do anything for him. I just kind of, you know, met the status quo and bumped along, and I'm no more like Christ now than I was at the beginning of 2024. I don't want that to be the story of 2024. I want 2024 to be a year of growth. Now, if you're paying attention, it's January 31st. The month of January is just about over. And that's a fairly significant portion of 2024 that has already passed away. For most people, New Year's resolutions are a thing of the past. They're gone by now. You know, they've long forgotten. They've been beaten up with the realities of life. But the reality is that while we still have breath, if you're a child of God, he has you here for a purpose. Don't ever give up and think, well, you know, I can't do anything for God. No, God has us here. We're still alive. We're, we're left here, not so that we can be bumps on a log, not so that we can, you know, just... Oh, well, you know, God's so good, he just takes care of me, so I'll just sit here until I go home to heaven. No, he wants us to be busy about the Father's business. If you think about Jesus' life, Jesus' life was one of activity for the Father. His life was centered around, it was focused on serving his Father. He had a purpose in his life. And you and I, we ought to have a purpose in our lives as well. But here as we dig into Acts chapter number 3, and we think about what the text has for us here this evening. I've entitled the message this evening, Preaching Jesus. Why don't we go ahead and read the chapter together, and then we'll just walk through it and notice some things. John, John, Acts chapter number 3, verse number 1, Now Peter 
and John, there's John, went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? This God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his Son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should, should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel, and those that followed after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God hath which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Preaching Jesus. And you see there at the end, or from about halfway through the passage, on down, Peter takes advantage of this opportunity that God has created 
and he preaches to this crowd Jesus Christ. But let's notice a couple things about the different people in this passage. First of all, we notice Peter and John. And they're on their way. We find them in verse number one. They're going up together into the temple to pray. Now, certainly, uh, there were some people who were not happy with them. But apparently, it was, a much, it was enough of an environment that they could still go into the temple without necessarily fear for their lives. God was still working in and amongst people's lives there in the city of Jerusalem. And so we find Peter and John, and they're going up to the temple together. And the text reveals to us here that it is at the hour of prayer. So this would have been a busy time. There would have been many, many of their kindred, many of their brethren in the flesh, gathering together at this hour of prayer at the temple. And they're headed up. You know, the, the text doesn't reveal to us what their purpose was necessarily, whether they were going up evangelistically, whether they were going up to participate in prayers, what their specific purpose was. But obviously, in the midst of whatever they're headed up to do, they have their eyes opened. Their eyes are not focused solely on their task, but they're looking around and they see this man. The text reveals to us not only Peter and John, but we see this certain man. It says there in verse number two that he's a certain man, lame from his mother's womb. So obviously he had been born in a lame condition. He was paralyzed in some way. There was something about his body that had not formed properly or had been broken in some way from his mother's womb. So this was a man, we're not given his age, but it's said that he is a man. So he's of age to be referred to as a man. So he would have been at least over 13 years old in Jewish society. But he has been lame from his mother's womb. He's never known what it was to walk, to run, to move under his own power. We're told in the text here that he is carried. He's carried up there daily, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. So apparently he had a group of friends or family members. I'm not sure who it was, but someone or a group of someones carry this man daily up to the temple. Now, if you've ever carried another individual for any distance, we're not told how long they had to carry him, but obviously there's some, some work that's involved in this. There's some effort that's taken to get this man from his house to this temple. And it was a, 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 um, a happening. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. It was something that happened Hey, you try it sometimes. Stand up here. Words, they just, they run out of your mind sometimes and you get lost. And you're like, what was the word I was looking for? Anyway, back to the thought. So they're, they're used to this process, right? This guy goes up every single day. He's laid at this, this gate called Beautiful at the temple. And he asks for alms. It's his daily routine. Now, obviously... A normal man, he would be working, he would be providing for himself, for his family, but this man was unable to do so. Not only was he unable to provide in a normal way, he was unable to go and to glean from fields or anything like that. He was lame. So he's carried up and he's begging, and it's just like any other day, but Peter and John are on their way up. And so as they come up, we find that this man, he asks Peter and John, he sees them about to go into the temple in verse number three, and he asks them for some alms. 
Now, he must have been looking down. He must have had his eyes downcast, maybe reaching a cup up, alms, asking for alms. And certainly, it's a degrading thing to beg of someone. Though of no fault of his own, he was in a position where he could not provide for himself. And you see Peter and John here, in verse number 4, Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Peter commands this man to lift up his eyes and to look on them. We're told here in verse number 5, the man gives heed unto them. He's expecting to receive something. I don't know if maybe he was expecting, wow, you know, they're asking me to look at them. Maybe they're going to give me a really big gift. You know, maybe they want me to look at them so that I recognize them. I don't know. We don't know the thoughts that are running through this man's head. But other than that, he's expecting that he's going to get something from them. And he is, though certainly it's something that he had never received before, nor, I'm sure, was he anticipating that he would ever receive, from these men anyway. Now, we don't know if he had ever seen Jesus before. Obviously, if he's been carried here for any length of time to the gate called Beautiful of the Temple... He must have seen Jesus at the temple on on other occasions. He must have heard stories of those who were sick or lame being healed. Maybe he heard the story of the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda. Maybe he dreamt of being one like that. And as Jesus was crucified, maybe he felt as if his opportunity had been lost. We don't know. We don't know the history of this man other than that he was lame from his mother's womb, carried here daily, and that he was expecting to receive something. But notice what Peter says there in verse number 6. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So Peter is very specific here. He doesn't say, well, just rise up and walk, but... He's very specific that he is doing this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter's being very specific here. He's referencing Jesus Christ of Nazareth so that everyone is clear who he's talking about. The man that they had recently crucified. So we see as Peter does this, we'll notice the faith that Peter has and the boldness that Peter has, right? He walks up to a man who's been lame from birth, and he says, rise up and walk. And notice what he does next in the text, right? He sticks his hand down. He grabs this man, verse number 7, by the right hand and lifted him up. Now, that takes some audacity, right? I mean, I've never gone up to anyone and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be healed, and reached down and, and picked him up. We say, well, of course not. Well, yeah. But it took some faith. It took some boldness on Peter's part. He obviously believed that this is what God wanted him to do. Now, obviously, God doesn't have us do that today. right? So there's, there's some difference there. But this took some faith on Peter's part in Christ. Some faith that Jesus could heal this man. And he was willing to put himself on the line a little bit. He was willing to step out in faith and trust him, trust Jesus, that this was going to happen. And he reaches down and grabs this guy. Now, Peter's going to look like a fool. 
if this doesn't work, right? If this guy isn't healed and Peter's saying, well, be healed, and he reaches down and grabs this guy and, hey, give me my arm back. But no, Jesus heals him. Notice the text there says that immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Huh. I wonder what that feels like. I don't know if, if maybe it felt like, you know, when your arm or your legs are asleep and you feel the, the blood begin to flow back in there and you feel it tingling and everything. You begin to feel the sensation of, oh, I have a limb there again. I don't know if maybe that's how it felt for him. And he felt the, the strength flow into these limbs like he'd never felt before. But notice this man, he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, again, we're not told how old he is, but I would anticipate he had a little bit of age on him. But he's so excited, he's never walked before, he's described as leaping. So here's a grown man running around the temple, arguably not a place where you normally see people running around, right? It's more of a, a formal place in some ways. Uh, most people, you know, they probably got yelled at by the, the older people around the temple. Stop running, you know. I don't know if they had, what did they used to have, like boards? They used to have feathers, I know that, on long poles to tickle people who would fall asleep in church, and the ushers would walk around and they'd, they'd use a feather to tickle the ladies. They'd tickle their nose if the ladies fell asleep. And I think they had a board on the other end of the pole for the guys, if the guys fell asleep. Because they, you know, they used to sit segregated, guys on one side, ladies on the other, and so they, anyway. So I don't know if they had old temple guards that would walk around and enforce rules like that, but this guy is obviously excited. He's never walked before. And here he is running around the temple, leaping and jumping and praising God. Praising God. He's vocally making it known that he is thankful to God that he can walk again. And notice, not only do we see Peter and John and this certain man, but we see the group of people. Verse number 10, the crowd at large, and they knew that it was he. Or sorry, verse number 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened Unto him. So these people, they see this guy and they know, hey, that's Fred. We've seen him for years now, sitting over there at the gate. I know, a very Jewish name, Fred. It's him. What is he doing? How is he walking? And then they listen. What is, what is he saying? He's talking about Jesus of Nazareth healed him? And so this crowd begins to form around this amazing sight. This man whom they've known as someone who's lame, who could never walk before. And here he is, walking and leaping and praising God. And so they begin to gather around Peter and John. And here's this man in verse number 11. He's holding Peter and John. He's holding on to them. And all the people run together to, unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. So all the people are filled with wonder and amazement. They all crowd around Peter and John, and they're wondering, wondering. And we see 
There, Peter gives the glory to God in verse number 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Now, there's a couple things about this statement that we need to stop and notice for a moment. First of all, notice that Peter immediately gives the glory to God. Peter is not lifted up in pride in this event in any way. Peter says, guys, don't, don't look at us. We're nothing special. It's not by our own power. It's not by our own holiness or righteousness that has made this man to walk. Peter then goes on to talk about how it's Jesus. It's in Jesus' name. It's in faith in Jesus' name that this man can walk. But Peter immediately gives the glory to God. Now, as we think about that, you know, in our lives, it's a good thing for us to give the glory to God. It ought to be a natural thing for us to give the glory to God. And, you know, it can be a good opportunity when someone comes and praises you for something. It, it, it is right, it is proper for us to redirect that and to give the glory to God. Now, Oftentimes what happens, though, is it feels weird. It feels weird because we can begin to think of ourselves as, think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We can begin to think of ourselves as something. And when someone comes and compliments us or praises us, we can actually begin to agree with them. Well, yeah, you know, I did do that. But Peter here, he had a proper perspective of himself. And reality is that you and I ought to have a proper perspective of ourselves. And anything, the proper perspective is that anything good that we do or anything good that we produce or any right attitude or response that we have, it's not of us. It's of God. What a wonderful opportunity to give praise to God. So that's one thing. Another thing that we can just uh, touch on and then we'll move on. But, you know, there are people out there who think of Peter as the first pope, and they think of him as one who can absolve people's sins and all that kind of stuff as a, a mediator, if you will, between them and God. But notice what, what Peter says here, right? He's, he's pretty plain in his wording there in verse number 12. Why marvel ye at this, or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power, or what? Holiness, we had made this man to walk. Peter says, guys, we don't even have enough holiness or power to, to fix the physical issues that this guy has. Now, you really think Peter's going to say, yeah, we can't fix physical issues by our own power or holiness, but we can fix spiritual issues? No. That, that's a, a far leap. So I know that's really not what the verse is talking about, but I think it is proper. It is applicable for us to view that in that way. Peter here is very obviously saying, I don't have any power or any holiness that you should marvel at or behold. Who you should behold is Jesus. He redirects the attention. He gives the glory to God. But second of all, he preaches Jesus. In verse number 13, he preaches Jesus glorified. He says, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate 
when he was determined to let him go. So we see he preaches about Jesus glorified. He says God the Father is glorifying his Son. He's magnifying, he's lifting up the name of Jesus in this man's life. You all know that this man has been lame since his mother's womb. He's never walked before, and you see the difference that Jesus has made in his life. Peter says this is God the Father glorifying Jesus, revealing the, the glory, the power that Jesus has. So he preaches Jesus glorified. Second of all, he preaches Jesus crucified. In verses 14 and 15, he says, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. So he preaches to them. He's very blunt, very plain. He says, you guys, you crucified the Prince of Life. Not only did you crucify him, but you denied him. You desired a murderer to be granted unto you instead of him. Right? There was corruption, there was evil intent that was involved in what was going on, and you guys killed him. You murdered him, you crucified him, and he's the prince of life. So he preaches Jesus glorified, crucified, and risen from the dead. There in verse number 15, he says, Whom God hath raised from the dead. Very plainly, he speaks openly in the temple to this group of people of the resurrection of Christ, and not only does he say that Jesus has risen from the dead, but he goes on and he speaks about the fact that Jesus, he preaches Jesus verified. Now, I wish I could have come up with a, an IED word for risen from the dead. I couldn't. Maybe you can chew on that and come up with one. Because I have glorified, crucified, verified, risen from the dead. I, I don't know. I worked on that one for a little while, and I couldn't come up with it. But he preaches Jesus verified. There at the end of verse number 15, he says, whereof... We are witnesses. Peter's saying, you know, this is kind of an outlandish statement. You guys killed Jesus, you crucified him, and he rose from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Peter's raising his hand, he's saying, you know what, I know this has never happened before, I know this is kind of crazy, but I'm a witness of the fact that Jesus rose from the the dead. I saw him with my own eyes. He's risen. So we see that he preaches Jesus not only glorified and crucified and risen from the dead, but that he verified that. Peter was an eyewitness. He was willing to put his life on the line to testify that what he was saying about Jesus was true. He goes on in verse number 16 and he says, "...in his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So we see here a little glimpse of the power of faith in Christ. He says, his name, Jesus' name, through faith in his name, faith in Jesus' name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. You guys can see it with your own eyes. You know this man. You see what has happened to him. It's very obvious that he's been healed. He's leaping around. You've never seen him do that before. You know that he can't walk. And he's pointing all of the attention back to Jesus. 
He says, Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. He goes on, though, and he begins to point them back to Scripture. There in verse number 17, he says, I, I what that through ignorance, or in other words, I know that through ignorance ye did it. Ye crucified Jesus, as did also your rulers. But those things which God hath be, which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. He goes on in verses 21 through 24, and he references the prophets and how they've spoken about Jesus. They've spoken about judgment that is to come. So Peter, he preaches Jesus. He points back to Scripture, and he points... We saw that last week, how Peter took them back to Scripture. He pointed them to Jesus. He pointed them to fulfilled prophecy. He pointed them to Scripture to back up his claims, and he's doing that once again. So he's speaking to a group of people who knew the Scriptures. They knew the Old Testament Scriptures. They'd been raised religious. They knew these verses, and Peter is drawing their attention back to the prophets. And he's pointing out to them once again that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies. He said that there in verse number 18, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. He says, guys, you know about Jesus you see what has happened on this day in this man's life. And not only that, all of the prophecies about the Messiah. Look at them. Jesus has fulfilled them. He's drawing their attention to Jesus. There in verse number 19, he calls to them to repent. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. He calls to them to repent to turn from their ignorance, to turn from their crucifying of Jesus Christ, to, to turn, to repent from their opinion of Christ, and to turn to Christ. To let go of their self-righteousness, their ways, their religion, their ideas, to let go of that and to cling to Jesus, to turn to Him, to repent. And then he speaks of the blessing of Christ or the blessings that are found in Christ. There in verse number 25, he closes out his message here. He says, Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. So he, once again, he calls to them of this prophecy, this promise, this covenant that God had made with Abraham their father. He says, you guys are Abraham's seed. You are inheritors. You are recipients of this covenant that God has made. This promise that God had made that through Abraham, all the kindred of the earth would be blessed. He goes on in verse number 26 and says, unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. He calls to them, he called to them to repent in verse number 16, not 16, 19. And now in verse number 26, he speaks of how Jesus has come. Jesus is this blessing. He's the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. And he speaks of the blessing that is found in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ 
was sent to turn away every one of you from his iniquities, from our sin, from the the attitudes of sin in their hearts. Jesus was sent to turn them to him. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Peter here is crying out to them to repent, crying out to them to turn to Jesus. And we see that in this passage, Peter takes advantage of a wonderful opportunity that God has placed in his path to preach Jesus. As we think about this, though, in closing, we can notice some things. First of all, I think of Peter and John. I think of their attitude. First of all, we talked about this at the beginning. They're, they're prepared, right? As a church, as individuals, they had spent time in prayer. They were prepared. As they go up to the temple, once again, we don't know their full purpose or intent in going to the temple, but obviously they were looking, they were open to maybe a change in their schedule. They were looking for opportunities to be involved in God's work. And when this opportunity presents itself, you know, someone begging, someone asking for alms, oftentimes we turn a blind eye to. Oftentimes we turn away from them, we ignore them, we want nothing to do with them. Peter and John, in this passage, they stopped. And they took time to meet this man's spiritual needs. Now, I I realize oftentimes in our society, someone who is is begging or panhandling or something like that, often has a multitude of problems in their life. Many of them are often drug-related, and it can be difficult to talk to someone in that case, in that condition. But you know, even people in our society like that, they need Christ. And stopping and spending some time with them to speak to their eternal need, because I think we all recognize and realize this evening that you know, if you pass them $20 or something like that, most likely it's not going to be used for anything good. Most likely it's going to go for drugs or something along those lines. And so doing that isn't going to help them in any real way. Or even if you just buy them a meal, it's only going to fill their belly for a short period of time. But we have an opportunity in a case like that to try to meet their spiritual need. And oftentimes, people like that will talk to you. Now, we don't know how down and out this guy was. Obviously, he had people who were willing to carry him. He, he apparently had some support in his life. But we ought to notice that Peter and John were willing to be interrupted. And oftentimes, we can get so busy in the course of our lives that we're on a mission, we're doing whatever we have on our to-do list for the day, and we can forget that this life isn't everything that we are to be speaking for Christ. You know, Peter and John here, they were in the midst of somewhat of a hostile environment. But Peter was very clear. He was willing to open his mouth and speak very explicitly, very plainly in Jesus' name to this man. Let that be an encouragement. Let that be a lesson to us this evening that we ought to be willing to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus anywhere, everywhere. That we ought to speak of Jesus. Notice also Peter's opportunity here as they gather around him. He had the opportunity to be lifted up in pride. He had the opportunity to accept the praise of man. And he used it as an opportunity to turn attention to Jesus. And he began to preach to this crowd who had gathered 
Jesus Christ. You know, you and I, we oftentimes have opportunities just in daily conversation to turn attention to Jesus Christ. And the only reason why it's weird or awkward is because we don't do it. And so then when we think about doing it, it's like, oh, well, that would be weird or awkward. But you know what? If you do that, you practice that, if that's how you're thinking in your mind, is no, you know what? It's not me. It's, it's Christ. Anything good that you see in me is Christ. So if that's genuinely your heart attitude, then it's going to be natural for you to proclaim that to others. It won't feel weird or awkward. And if you begin to develop a reputation of doing that, either people will stop complimenting you because they don't want to hear it, or you might have some conversations that will blow your mind. Sometimes you can say something like that, and it will open a door that you would never have seen any other way. And, you know, sometimes at work, in situations like that, where maybe you're, you're concerned about your boss, uh, you know, you can't talk about Christ too much, uh, be careful with that kind of an attitude, first of all. But, you know, what a wonderful opportunity to just be real with people and to talk about, well, you know, this is just what Christ did in my life. Oh, yeah, you know, anything good you see in me, that's, that's only Christ. You know, people talk about the weirdest things. People talk about their hobbies all the time and the strangest things that people are into, and they don't think anything about sharing those kind of things with you. We ought not to think anything about sharing Christ and what he's done in our lives with others. So I think we can learn from Peter and his boldness. We can learn from Peter in the fact that he simply gives the glory to God and he simply preaches Christ. He preaches Christ to these people, that Christ was glorified, crucified, risen from the dead, verified by his witness. You know, it's a wonderful thing to share with other people your personal testimony. And just talk about, you know what, this is what God did in my life. This is who I was before I met Christ, and he did this amazing work in me. And you can just challenge people with that. But not only that, then he points them to Scripture, he calls them to repent, and he speaks of the blessings that are found in Christ. You know, you and I this evening, we can do that. We can give glory to God. We can redirect the attention to Him. We can preach Jesus. We can point people to Scripture. We can call people to repent. That's appropriate. And we can speak to others of the blessings that we have found in Christ. Preaching Jesus. That was Peter's goal in this passage. That was Peter took an opportunity he was bold in that opportunity, and he preached to this crowd a message that they'd never heard before. And next week, Lord willing, we'll see some of the, the benefit, some of the negative consequences that came from that. It wasn't all sunshine and roses. Uh, this brought some heat on Peter and John. But God used his bold witness in a bold way. And you know, this evening, I hope that that's your desire. I hope that's your prayer, that God would use you, that he would use you to be a witness and a testimony to others of his goodness in your life.